Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We're working on a series uh, called When Things Go Wrong. We are looking mostly at the life of a guy named Samuel from the Old Testament. We're, fall, we're in the book that bears his name. In fact, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we'll uh, read a text from there momentarily. But what we've done is we've followed him from the beginning of his life, even before his birth, and the troubles that have surrounded him. Now, uh, it's not because he's a troublemaker, mind you. I just want to be clear about that. He's an excellent guy. But, uh, and I think if we all thought about it, we could always figure out that there's troubles that will f- try to find their way into all of our lives. Isn't that right? But it just so happens that certain people, the Bible records the troubles that surrounded their lives. And in, during Samuel's lifetime, there were a lot of things that kind of went off the rails. And so we we're just kind of working through them those things and figuring out how they apply to our life. And so, so we followed him again from his birth. Now we're coming to the later years of his life in chapter 8. In fact, the text comes right out and says when Samuel grew old right off the bat. So <laughs> that's where, you know, wouldn't you love that to be in the Bible forever? So you're an old guy. All right. Um, but uh, but, but we, we're kind of going to see a little bit of a repeat of history of re- thinking back to the story of Eli, the priest that was before uh, Samuel and uh, how things went for him, why Samuel ended up becoming the one he was, and now all of a sudden we're seeing the same problem repeat itself. So again, chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of the firstborn was Joel, or Joel, and the name, you could, you know, go either way with that, but, uh, and the name of his second was Abijah. They served at Beersheba, but, I hate the, but anytime you see a but in the Bible, that's a bad thing because something bad is coming. But his sons did not follow his ways. That's what I'm talking about, that reminiscent of the earlier story with Eli. And they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, that's especially sad, I think, because, again, Eli messed up. Samuel, he must have done something right with Samuel because Samuel turned out great, but then it doesn't make it to the next generation again. Are we catching this? You know, it's just like the next generation doesn't get uh, to, to a place where they're following in the footsteps of their, their uh, parents. And, and so it happens again. History has repeated itself. And this, this is a word to any of us who aspires to be in ministry, especially um, because Samuel's son are not godly men, and then uh, the compromise begins to ensue in their lives. So uh, verse 4 now. So all, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. See, this just keeps coming up, doesn't it? Like, I don't know what the problem is. But, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But they said, uh, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. This is so profound. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. This is uh, uh, just, th- this really sums up what we're looking at today. They've rejected the true king for something less than. And verse 8 Uh, As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Now from verses 10, and you can read these later if you'd like, through verse 18, uh, Samuel goes through a litany of what it will cost them to have a human king over them instead of God as king. 
And the list is, you would think you, by the time you got through all that stuff, you'd say, okay, we changed our mind, we'll go back to what we had, because that's much better. But in this case, they do not do that. And it says in verse 19, if you'll skip down there, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. Why would you want that? Okay, sorry, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. I want to talk to you today about compromise and the terrible consequences of what happens when we don't put Jesus Christ first as a king over our lives. And, uh, and so my thesis for this message is, is that if Jesus isn't king of everything, we are living in compromise to one degree or another. Are you with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories. They, they inspire us even as we reread them and reread them. God, we never, your word is living and active. We always see new things that we didn't see before. We thank you for that. And I just pray today that as we've already been in your presence worshiping you and as we've received at the Lord's table today, that your presence will continue to just be strong in the, in the hearing and in the speaking of your word and in the preaching of the gospel today. God, let this be a moment of just uh, really coming to grace with things that we may need to in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, you, you're here to kind of highlight all those texts about being old, and because uh, I, I guess I'm a little bit tender about that, because I just had my 61st birthday this week, and uh, I received a lot of nice texts and calls and, and Facebook uh, posts wishing me happy birthday. I appreciate, appreciate them all. I started thinking about it. I, I guess this hits me every year, but I, the truth is that on my 61st birthday, I actually began my 62nd year, right? That's depressing, isn't it? Not really. It's no wonder I feel old, though. Uh, sometime, sometime in my life, I moved from being older than I look to looking older than I am, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about, but anyway. Um, I used to think people in their 60s sounded really ancient to me, but now not so much. You know, it's like, oh, come on. I got plenty of years left, no problem. So, um, you know, when I was a child, I used to sing that song, uh, head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. You ever do that, right? Now it's glasses, wallet, keys and phone, keys and phone, keys and phone, glasses. You can, if you can't relate, you're not old enough yet. I love the story about the 72-year-old bachelor who loved to fish. He was sitting in his boat one day, and, and he heard a voice speaking out there in the middle of the lake, and, pick me up, pick me up. He looked around, he couldn't see anyone, and he leaned over the edge of the boat, and sure enough, he sees a frog there on the top of the water, pick me up, pick me up. And he goes over, he reaches up, picks up the frog, and, and the frog begins to talk to him and says, if you kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful princess, and I will be your wife, and then, then you can brag to all your buddies of what a wonderful thing, you know, and all you got to do is kiss me and I'll turn into a princess. And he picks up the frog and he opens up his top pocket and stuffs the frog in his pocket. And from his pocket, he hears the frog say, say, uh, don't you want to kiss me? Don't you realize I'll turn into a beautiful princess? He says, nah, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> so, Sometimes with age comes wisdom, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. You notice I said that when my wife was out of the room. <laughs> I'll get in trouble anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. 
Another thing that comes with age, though, is the, uh, the realization of the, the, the consequences of compromise in our lives. You know, over time, I mean, when we're young, we, we are tempted at times to take shortcuts and bypass things, only to realize that doing things the right way or doing things God's way was really the best after all. And so there's always consequences with those things. Now, what God wanted for Israel is he wanted to be their king. That's really what his intention was. And he wanted to be their king because it, with him as king, they, their kingdom would have been secure. They, anytime they, they completely submitted to God, he always fought their battles for them. He gave them everything they needed. You know what I'm saying? And God, God's still in that business. But, but the thing that kept happening was they would divert away. They would trust in other things besides God. And so they got in a lot of trouble. And so, so uh, God had been the king of Israel, and he cared for that nation since its beginning. But now the elders want a king, a, a human king. And Samuel's reaction shows that, that he fully understood their unbelief and rebellion at this point. Now, the de- I'm, I'm talking about compromise today. The definition of compromise is this, to accept standards that are lower than desirable. Lower standards than are desirable. This request for a king did not come as a surprise to God. He had actually foretold it and predicted it uh, through Moses 200 years before that. And we'll show you the scripture in Deuteronomy 17. Again, 200 years earlier, God says to Moses, when you enter the land the Lord is giving you and you've taken possession of it and settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. You say, well, why did, why did Israel... Why did they end up doing something that even, you know, I mean, obviously it's predicted, but why did they go and do that even though they were forewarned that that was a bad idea? Well, the answer is simply in this case that Samuel did not raise godly men. He just didn't raise up the next generation like he should have. And it's, again, it's strangely reminiscent, isn't it, of Eli and the fact that his sons didn't follow the Lord. Samuel started out great. I mean, he named his kids great names. Joel, which means Jehovah is God, and Abijah, which means God is my father. Sounds like he had good intentions along the way, don't we all? When we first have those little babies, we think, oh, this is going to be such bliss and such wonders. So amazing. Look at that sweet little baby there. And you know, the first night, and it's like, what? What have we done, right? Um, but it, but it happens that we have these, you know, and I remember when Ron and I had our first son, Andrew, it's like everything he did was like a highlight. We had, and you know, we didn't have like phones to carry around, but we, we made sure we owned, uh, we got a video uh, camera as soon as we could. And you know, in those days, they were about this big and had a VHS tape in them. And you know, some of you are too young to know what I'm talking about, but there was, those were hard times, people, hard times. <laughs> and so you carry this massive camera around and, uh, and try to catch, you know, oh, he spit up. That was the first time. Isn't that cute? <laughs> you know, third one comes. It's like whole periods of this kid's life, we don't even have photographs of him. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I love him the same, but it's just like, wow. <laughs> you know, just kind of, the, the shine came off. Let me tell you, the shine came off. But we start thinking about parenthood and it's going to be dreamy and we think it's going to be Brady Bunch, and then all of a sudden, it, sometimes it turns into like Ozzy Osbourne's family or something. What happened? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it seems somewhere in the process of things, Samuel didn't follow through on the high hopes that he had by naming his kids what he named them. And so let me, let me end, uh, 
this may seem like I'm going too long talking about kids and stuff, but I think that because this story hinges around the fact that he did not raise up the next generation, I just want to talk through this a little bit. I know one of the first messages I spoke about um, was the fact that we have to raise up our kids, right? We talked about Eli, how kids went off the rails. This is a little bit different way of looking at it, so bear with me for a moment. It's not the only thing I'm going to talk about, but I want to talk about this for a minute. And I want to talk about this as a subject, as I kind of dive into this a little bit more. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm not a parent or my kids are old and it doesn't... Listen, it still all matters because the older generation needs to teach the younger generation what to do with their children. It is, you know, we're, and by the way, if you are a grandparent, <laughs> um, you, you know that your job raising children really isn't completely over anyway. That, that you play an important, a very vital part, not only in uh, the contact you have with those children, but in with your own children, in helping them in the times they call you and say, what do I do when my, right? And if you're a godly person and gives good advice, you're going to be a blessing to your children and help them to do the best job. It's happened many, many times to me since my kids have started raising their tribes. It's awesome to watch. They feel like tribes, believe me. We had four of them from Sunday to Wednesday this week. It was crazy. So good, though. Um, but, uh, but, but what I see with sometimes in people, and I think this, I guess I'm trying to identify what it is in Samuel, is, and I'm going to call it the press for success, okay? You go with me on this? The press for success. That, that um, you know, again, Samuel had this poor mentor. Eli's not good at raising his own children. And so Samuel somehow missed with his own kids, but, it, but he was trying so hard to be the man of God that he had been raised to be. I think that along the way, he, he uh, spent all of his energy and his thoughts and his stuff on the ministry and forgot about his kids. I think, I think that's just implied, at least from the story. I read a story once about a wealthy businessman who was disturbed as he walked along the lake uh, shore of a large uh, sea, really, and, and there was a fisherman beside his boat playing with his child, his daughter. He said, why aren't you out fishing? And the fisherman said, well, I've already caught enough fish for one day. He says, yeah, but, but it's early. Why, you could go out and catch more. And the guy said, well, what would I do with them? He said, well, you could earn more money. And the, the, he said, well, with the extra money, then you could go out and get a bigger boat. And then you could fish more and catch more fish and earn more money. And you could get maybe two or three boats. And in fact, at some point, you could hire some people on, have a whole fleet of boats, and, and you could really develop this thing into an empire and just really be successful. And the fisherman said, well, after I did all that, then what would I do? Well, then you'd have enough time to sit down and enjoy life. He goes, what do you think I'm doing right now? Right? You kind of get the idea there. And one, one thing that most people... Uh, uh, realize too late in life is we, we cannot sacrifice our children for success. We just can't. For finances or any other thing. There, there's nothing as important as making sure those kids get the best upbringing they can get. We must prioritize our own families. And, and, and the being in a church family is part of that. We, we participate together with you, but really the, the onus, the, the responsibility, the, the, the thing that has to happen is as parents, we just have to buckle down and raise our kids right. That's just what it, what it comes down to. And so, so it may not be our own success. Here's, a, here's kind of the catch. We may not, it may not be our own success that's catching us up, but our passion, if you will, or desire for our, our children's success that sometimes can... Now, believe me, there's nothing wrong with that. I want my kids to be very successful, but we've got to make sure that we're prioritizing the right things. 
See, we press for them to be successful in school. That's good. Maybe in music, in sports, all kinds of activities. But when it, sometimes, honestly, when it, and I see this sometimes, when it comes to living for God, attending church, being part of a youth group, or, or being, you know, and being involved in the life of the church, parents take a step back sometimes from those things. Even though they're pressing hard in other areas, they'll step back at those times. And, and, uh, and they'll usually say something like this, oh, I just want them to make their own choice about God. I don't want to shove religion down their throat. I spit on that. I shoved, I, I didn't shove religion. I shoved relationship with God down my kid's throat. I gave him a full helping. Here, open your mouth. You're getting more. You're getting more of Jesus in you. I don't want you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, no, listen, I pressed. I pressed for my kids. If you're going to be successful in anything, they're going to be successful in the Lord. Because if you're successful in the Lord, the other things will follow. They will. You know, you, I love it. I love the testimonies of people who, who have just put God first, and He's enabled them to be so much better than they would have been otherwise. And I see that even happening to some degree to my own kids. I'm just amazed at God's grace in their lives, and I, I love to see that. But, but really, we only get one shot at raising these guys. And, um, and so that's it. And I believe in Samuel's time, he probably wanted to be a good parent, but the cares of the nation and what he was doing kept him from doing a great job at it. The bottom line is that failing to do a good job raising kids God's way leads to these awful consequences. First, for the kids themselves, they're not God followers or they're corrupt God followers, which is even worse. And then, and then for even for us as parents, we deal with the repercussions of their choices. And in this case, they end up, a whole nation is affected by two boys who don't follow the Lord. Do you see what's happening? A whole nation by two kids that didn't go the right way because they weren't raised right. And I wonder so many times about the troubles we face in our nation and the political climate and the fighting and all that. If there was somebody out there that was meant for this purpose and for this moment, for just a time as this, that, that wasn't raised right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And they never were. So we didn't, have, we didn't have a chance to elect them to an office. Some godly person out there. May God do that. May you rise up for the next... You know, I'm not putting down our current president. I'm simply saying may God raise up a godly leadership in this country and do great things. But only as the people of God do their part and focus on Him. Now, let me make something really, really clear, very clear here. When kids grow up and they go off the rails or leave the faith, it's not always because parents did a bad job of raising them. I just want to be very clear about that. And we should never, ever judge anyone based on what we see of their kids and how they turned out. Because, listen, God the Father is a perfect father, but his first two kids sinned in the garden. They went off the rails. They couldn't have had a better father than God the Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so if, you're, if you're in that situation, don't beat yourself up about it, number one. And because everybody has their own will. But that does, at the same time, we can't just say, well, what happens, what happens. No, we can't have that attitude. That doesn't work. It's not going to happen. So we've got to decide to prioritize our lives. And, you know, this whole thing is boiled down to what Jesus said. He said, seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first, and then all the other things will be added to you. Whether it's your own success in life or whether it's for your kids' success, trust the Lord, seek after Him, and that's what happens. Now, that... I spent extra time on that because that's the example we have here of an area of compromise. But there's a lot of areas of compromise. There's a multiplicity of ways that we choose what is convenient over what is best. Okay? We choose the way of ease over what is great. 
Too many times we give in to all kinds of compromise. Compromise is a word with two parts, com, which means with or together, and promise, which means a declaration that something will or will not be done. So a compromise is making a promise and then adding something to it that ends up negating it. All right? And so it, what happens is the promise, we say, oh, I'm going to do this, and now I'm going to compromise, so I'm going to dilute the original, or pollute, if you will, even worse, the pollute the original promise that I made to God. And so, so when we add to the promise, or when we subtract from the promise, it makes things bad. It brings us to a place of compromise. I did an illustration at youth meeting many years ago when we were over at our East Campus building over there, at, which is getting really close to being completely sold, praise God. But uh, we're excited about that. But, uh, but I, once in a while, I got asked uh, to speak to our youth, and I did an illustration. Now, I'm just going to uh, be honest. This is revolting and disgusting, what I'm about to tell you right now of an illustration I did, but I, but I just sometimes you've got to get through to the youth. All right? So I made a big batch of chocolate pudding, and I brought it. Yeah, you already know where this is going, right? And I brought it, and I set it on a table, and I began to talk about this idea of compromise. And I said, you know, you know how many like chocolate pudding? Yeah! Oh, everybody raised their hand. I said, how many would like to eat this chocolate pudding? Yeah, they all want it. It was like, oh, there was a lot of kids there. It was a great night. And I said, okay. I said, but I haven't finished adding all the ingredients yet. And then I grabbed a baggie. This is the, you know, you might want to stop your ears right now. I'm just being real. So I went out in the yard. We had a dog at that time. And I collected up a little bit of the, yeah, I did. <laughs> and put it in a baggie. It was disgusting. I hated it, but I wanted to get a point across. And so I brought out, aren't you glad I didn't do that today? Okay. <laughs> And now I'm describing it to you. It's just almost as bad. So I grabbed up some of the refuse of my dog in the backyard, and I put it in a clear baggie, and I said, here's the final ingredient, lily poo. And I opened it up, and I poured it in, and I stirred it up. Now, most of the kids did exactly what I wanted them to do. They went, ah, disgusted. Now who wants, and this is what I said, now who wants to eat this? And one, one jerk of a guy at the back. Don't you know, there's always one. This one jerk speaks up. He says, I'll do it. Shut up. Okay, so <laughs> ruining my whole thing here. The whole idea is that you don't want to eat it now, <laughs> of course. So, so anyway, but, but here's the question I asked them, and I ask us today, how much doggy do is acceptable in our pudding? How, you know? Well, it's just a little bit. I don't care. I don't want that anywhere near my pudding. Is anybody grossed out yet? It's okay. That was my hope to get there. Okay. Any bit is not acceptable, and it's polluting, and it's compromised. Remember, it means to accept standards that are lower than desirable. What's desirable is not to have any of that in there. Let's talk about some other quick topics here. Uh, for instance, uh, sex before marriage or having sex with someone you are not married to is compromise. Bible. I mean, I, I'm not making this stuff up. It's not my rules. You want to be mad at someone, be mad at God. I don't care. Don't be mad at me. I'm just a messenger. It's just the truth. It's what God's Word teaches us. You know, it's just what it is. And I'm going to tell you something. You may not think so. And you may think, well, this is why everybody's doing it. I don't care. You will cost you. It will be a cost for that. And people who have engaged in that understand that. Even people who have come to Christ later and they realize, oh, man, and they, maybe they married that person anyway. That's all great. God redeems those things. You can have a perfectly successful marriage. But you know that there was a cost to that. You know that there was.
2 Corinthians 6.17 from the Message Bible says this, So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. So there's, we can compromise sexually. Uh, financially, we can compromise. I went into a Walmart uh, a few years ago, some time ago, and I, I bought two items. Each one of them cost $25. And as I went through the check stand, the checker only scanned one of the two items and then, and he wasn't paying attention, and, and the amount came up on the thing, and I immediately knew it was wrong. Now, those are interesting moments, aren't they? You know, the flesh, right? There's always the flesh, and the devil's right there. He'll encourage your flesh. Ooh, good deal, man. Go for it. <laughs> A freebie. You deserve it. Get the man anyway. Yeah. Walmart, they're a big corporation. They can afford it. You know, all his... I immediately spoke up. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> you only scanned one of the items. Oh, okay. You know, scanned the other one. Now the bill was where it should be. And, and, but, you know, we tend to, in those moments, we start thinking, oh, sweet. <laughs> I got an awesome deal. I read once of a pastor who uh, was new to a community, and he was checking out at a check stand, and he paid cash at the end. I think it was a grocery store, and it wasn't a lot of money, but the, the checker ended up giving him way too much change back. And he, he started looking at it, and he went, he stopped, he went, oh, I, th I, I think you gave me too much change. And he did what I did. He corrected the situation, and he said, he said here, that, that, that's not right. And she said, you know, um, I knew you were a pastor, and I knew that you were new to town, and I was thinking about coming to your church, and I just wanted to see what kind of man you were. Please don't ever do that to me. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not paying attention, right? I just put it in my pocket. Oh, man, that's frightening. You know what I'm saying, though? But we, we ha Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor. You're a believer. You belong to Christ. You represent Christ. Everywhere we go, it matters how we, how we do things and how we treat finances and things like that. So all of this is important. And God can't bless that kind of thing anyway when we're compromising financially, cheating on our taxes, maybe thinking, I can get away with it. You know, I took this credit. They'll never know. Yeah, right? There's just stuff. It's, it's little bitty things all along the way, little choices we're making all the time. Each one of them has, a, has the potential to pollute the good life that God has for you and me. Later, the prophet Hosea will address the folly of their choice as desiring a different king. Hosea 13, put it up on the screen, 9 through 11. You are destroyed, O Israel. This is the consequences. You are destroyed because you are against me, against your helper. Where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give, a, give me a king and princes? So in my anger, I gave you a king. And in my wrath, I took him away. That's tough. Because... Because sometimes in our choices, God will say, okay, that's what you want. But listen, his end, his end desire is still loving, okay? You hear anger, you hear wrath, you think, oh man, what's going on with God? No, no, no. Because he wants our consequences to speak to our, our attitudes and speak to our, our uh, choices that we're making so that in the future we'll make the right choices and have the right attitudes. He wants that to happen. And so that's why he'll allow things to happen in our lives that will be challenging for us at times. And again, not everything we face that's a challenge is because we've sinned in some way. Sometimes there's just the devil, right? He's just out to get us. I want to make that clear. 
I want to just uh, read one more quote to you, and then we'll, we'll have the worship team come back. This is from Greg Laurie. Some of you may have heard of him before. He's a big-time uh, big preacher down in Southern California. I really appreciate his, his solid teaching. He says this. He says, if there is a breakdown in your relationship with God, it's only a matter of time until compromises start making their way into your life, until you start lowering your standards here and there. Keep your guard up. Stay close to Jesus. Let the fire of your first love burn brightly, and you will be strong. I can't promise that you will be sin-free, but you will have the power and resolve you need to live a life that pleases God. Well said, Greg Laurie. Appreciate it. Worship team, come on back. Early in the book of Daniel in our Old Testament, we read the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon at that time, and, and he has a dream, a very vivid dream that disturbs him greatly. He saw a huge tall statue. How many have read this story before? You know what I'm talking about. So he sees this incredibly huge statue, and the statue is made up of different materials. The head is made of gold. The, uh, the chest and arms are made of silver. The, the belly and thighs are bronze. It, the bottom legs are made of iron, and then the feet are made of, of iron mixed with clay. And we see, so we see a, a transition from the most precious of all metals, down to a place where we're talking about iron and clay being mixed together in the toes and in the feet. And then in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, he sees what he described, a huge mountain of a rock. For us, we might even think like a, it'd be like a meteor coming down from the sky. And, uh, but a huge mountain of a rock, mountain came down out of the sky, all firing and blazing. And it came down, and of all the places for it to hit, it hits the feet of the statue. All right? It hits the feet of the statue, which are the, the clay and the iron mixture. And so, so at that moment, the entire statue is obliterated because the very foundation on which it stood was mixture of clay and iron. And the whole statue is destroyed. When Daniel interprets the dream, each of those four uh, metals represent four different kingdoms. The head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian kingdom. And by the way, historically, this was a prophetic dream that spoke of human history for hundreds of years. In fact, it's even speaking to us today. So this is so amazing because this is happening six, seven hundred years before Christ even came. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have your Babylonian kingdom. That's the head of gold. Very good. Then all of a sudden, it's going to kind of degrade a little bit, going to go to the, the silver part, which was the um, uh, Medo-Persian empire. And then uh, another one will be the bronze. That'll become the Greek empire, which was the next historically to come along. And then finally, the iron, which would be, and that was the Roman, which was at the time of Christ, right? So it describes 700 years of human history. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. The feet of iron and clay represents where we are right now. See, it's still speaking to us today. All right? And it's it's very, very prophetic moment. We live in the time of mixture. We live in the time of greatest compromise. Do you understand? There's, there's, it's not just one thing. It's both things. It's trying to have both things. But these things don't mix. They don't work. They're not stable. It's not, not where you want to set your foundation on. Is where Can you imagine clay and iron staying together? And then let alone when the fiery mountain comes and strikes it, everything, everything that it's been built on has been destroyed. Now what Daniel didn't know but, but, but had begun to foresee was the fact that the, the rock that came and destroyed the statue is Jesus Christ. In, in, in Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, he describes Jesus as the stone the builders rejected 
and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So Jesus, we know He's the rock of our salvation, right? So Jesus is that stone that comes down from heaven. He already came down one once. He came down as a baby, lived as a man, died on a cross for us, was raised from the dead. That was the first part of the, the end of that prophecy. The stone has struck the feet, and the crumbling of the kingdoms of this world started 2,000 years ago. Okay? Now, it's not been completed yet. The kingdoms of this world are still struggling and stammering and trying to do their thing, but to be honest with you, their time is limited. The kingdom of God, which was established when He came, started, but it hasn't, hasn't been finished yet, and that's still to come. And so in the book of Revelation, speaking of the return of Christ, it says in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of this world, again, this is after everything's done, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And so this, this is what that mountain coming and destroying it all is all about. We're living in the time of the toes. We really are. A mixture of iron and clay. Uh, the, it's the weak. It's, it, and the Lord is coming to crush the compromise of this world. And as we looked into holiness last week, we have to ask ourselves, are we allowing even little bits of sin or compromise to get into our lives? God really does expect us to live holy. He really does. I may be 61, but, but looking back, I can say my greatest regrets in life were things I compromised over. And I'm just saying it's never too old to, or never too young to start deciding to live 100% for the Lord and to rid ourselves of any compromise and decide once and for all that Jesus is our King. We have no other King but Jesus. And when He comes back, when He comes back, which He's going to do soon, He will rid the world of compromise. But I want to say to us today, and this is where I kind of want to go at the end of this, is just to say this, that, that we can invite the Lord to come as King right now in our own lives and smash and destroy any areas of compromise that we have personally. That's an invitation we can make to God at any time. But especially in this moment, as we've been aware of it, as we've been thinking it through, maybe areas of compromise. You know, I, I only covered a couple little areas there, but there's, man, there's so many, right? And so I'm trusting the Holy Spirit has spoken to us if there's something. Now, now this may seem like a good time to maybe get on our knees and repent, but I just thought that a better way maybe to end today would be in a moment of celebration over the coming of our King and inviting Him in this moment to say, God, come into my life, come into this world and destroy compromise, destroy corruption, destroy things that don't belong and build your kingdom started in me. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.